Alrighty, good morning for everyone who is uh, now joining in. Back on the morning cycle, I think the last few I did were uh, in the in the evening, just due to events and schedules and things like that. But uh, we are back to a normal cycle of doing these things in the morning and then the other things in the afternoon every alternating week. Now, there is a lot happening this week. And I'm sure there's lots of things I haven't even thought about. Holy shit, that was loud. <laughs> lots of other things I haven't even thought about. Sound obviously works again, which is good. Let me kick off with sponsors, because sponsors is the easy one. It's also the important one. It's easy in that it's at the beginning of every one of these updates. Security FWD from Veronis, a brand new YouTube show from them. Watch episode one, How Far Can Wi-Fi Travel? Uh, now, speaking of travel, I have mentioned many times that Veronis is one of these sponsors that I have spent time with in person in many parts of the world. I remember doing a talk for them at uh, RSA in San Francisco some years ago, actually. And I'm pretty sure I also did one for them in London at a thing somewhere. I can't quite remember. So real company, <laughs> real people doing real good stuff. So please go and check out Veronis and their security FWD podcast and, uh, and say good day for me and thank them for allowing me to do what I do. Now, speaking of things that I do, and I'm just looking through my, my list of uh, various things I, I put in the tweet just before I started this, and uh, that, believe it or not, I'm going to put my finger over the QR code, I went to a real-life conference this week. I spoke at a real-life conference yesterday, which was really interesting. Now, I'm going to explain for those of you who are yet to sort of come out the other side I don't even know if that's the right term, but get through the COVID thing and actually start being able to go to events again. What it's like, because there are a few things that were actually kind of made life, uh, life actually quite, um, it's not that made life difficult, but I just didn't expect. So the OzCert conference, now it's probably Australia's premier information security conference, runs here on the Gold Coast every year. I'd gone for many, many, many years. Clearly last year was a no-go. So last year was an online event. I tuned in to watch a couple of things. Mostly the whiskey tasting event is the one that sticks in my mind. And then um, a few weeks ago, someone reached out and said, hey, can we catch up at OzCert? And I, what? <laughs> you mean like catch up, catch up in, in person? Like sounded super weird. And I, and I realized the event was back on uh, and it was actually being held, uh, unfortunately, no longer a 10-minute walk away from me. It's now a 10-minute Uber ride away from me or a 10-minute drive, depending on if we're going to party or not. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a real thing and it was really back on. And I was like, cool, this is awesome. Like, I've got to go along to OzCert and do something. I'm time poor. What can I do that doesn't require any effort <laughs> in advance from me? So uh, so we agreed that I'd do an AMA. I said, let's do an AMA where uh, Adam Spencer, the MC, who's a fairly uh, fairly recognizable Australian uh, personality as well, uh, very interesting guy, someone I spent a bit of time with in the past too, said, look, uh, Adam can do the AMA with me on stage. So after yesterday afternoon's keynote from uh, Siren, uh, who've, uh, who founded the NCSC in the UK as well, actually, it was nice for him to go first. And he said some really, really nice stuff about me too. <laughs> so I've got to try and find the video. I'll tell you what, if ever there was a moment where I needed some positive vibes, that was that. But maybe that's a longer story I'll put in the book. Um, anyway, so did this AMA in front of a live audience as well. So uh, so we did that, and then we had a gala dinner last night back at the event. So Charlotte and I got to get dressed up and, and go to an event. I did tweet a photo of it last night. And it, uh, it probably begs the question in everyone's mind, what's it like actually going back to a real-world event? Now, 
both Charlotte and I probably go to more events than just about anyone in normal times, her having organised all the NDC events around the world and me, well, you know what I do. Uh, so we, we were at Microsoft Ignite in Sydney in February last year, and that was the last event we went to in person until now. So what's it like? Well, night before last, we went to a, a whiskey tasting <laughs> as, a, as a sort of a parallel to the event run by a company called Hactive, run by a mate of mine, Chris Gatford. And, uh, and I would normally go to that every year. And we went to the Wixie Taste, and it was in a penthouse in, in the, the hotel attached to the casino. And there must have been, I don't know, let's say 40 people within a fairly confined space, as nice as the penthouse was. Now, for people about to lose their minds, we effectively have no community transmission of COVID in Australia. There's, there's like maybe one or two really rare cases. I, I think we're sort of getting a good handle on it now insofar as, as when it happens, like stuff just gets locked down so quickly. So particularly since probably January, uh, it's just been really, really solid. And every now and then there's a tiny little uptick. There are a few little cases here in Queensland, maybe six weeks ago. But for the most part, it's normal. So it was like handshaking and everything as normal. Uh, no masks whatsoever. I haven't seen any masks on anyone at the conference. Um, and it's taking a bit of getting used to, to be honest. Like it's taking a bit of getting used to just being comfortable around a density of people. And then the other thing that, that this was the thing I wasn't expecting. The other thing it took us getting used to is that we were sitting there at the whiskey taste and we probably stayed there about an hour and a half or something, went home and we were tired. And Charlotte was saying, you know, it's, it's like it's the noise. You're not used to being in an environment with lots of people around you making noise. Like we go to restaurants and things like that, but it's a little bit different. So that kind of surprised us. But, um, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. At the conference itself, all the chairs are spaced out like one and a half metres apart. And there's some photos of this on my, on my Twitter timeline. So if you can imagine, particularly for the, for the keynotes, uh, they have three different halls and they're all opened up together. And then every chair is like, you know, I'm just out of frame here, but about that far apart from each other. And, and for the most part, it works. Now, what got me is, as a speaker on that, uh, on that AMA yesterday, and I have said for many, many, many years, the thing that makes for a, an energetic room is density of people. Now, I always used to say this before the COVID stuff, but I'd say you could have the same number of people in a large room and it is a completely different vibe to that many people in a small room because when you pack people in and people are like shoulder to shoulder or chair to chair as it used to be, there's something just infectious about enthusiasm and laughter that ripples through the audience. And what I kept feeling yesterday is I'd say things, so yeah, I make jokes, whatever, uh, and, and there'd be laughter, but it wasn't that kind of infectious chorus of an entire audience. It was individuals in their socially distant chairs laughing about the thing. Now, having said all that, I think also has done an absolutely sensational job, and it's, it's kind of amazing that we can do this at all at the moment, and we do know in Australia how lucky we are to be here with this situation compared to what it's like in most of the rest of the world. Don't get me wrong, we're very, very conscious of that but it's certainly not like it used to be. Incidentally as well, just for those wondering, our vaccination rollout in Australia, I haven't checked where we're at uh, on the stats for a while, but it is very, very slow. Uh, so at the moment, we're still doing, we only just opened it up to the over 50s, which, uh, which thankfully is not my demographic. <laughs> not yet, I'll be in the next wave, the over 40s. Um, but it's going very, very slow because we basically have no COVID. And that's, you know, again, like that is a privilege to be in that situation, but it means that it's going to be a very slow rollout. We had news 
This week, our federal budget was announced a couple of days ago, and in the federal budget, they said they do not expect overseas travel to resume until the middle of next year. Now, that's, uh, that came as a, as a bit of a blow, especially for Charlotte, because her family's in Norway. She has not seen them since February last year and now has no idea when she'll see them. And it also impacts things like when we plan to get married, because we'd kind of like to do that with her family as well as mine. Our vaccination status at the moment, we've got 25 million people in Australia. We're at 2.9 million uh, as, of, as of today, apparently. So you can see that we've got a long way to go. Apparently, the government wants to see, so I think, somewhere around 70 to 80% of all eligible people vaccinated before they start opening up borders. Uh, so we do have a long way to go here, but we get to have an almost normal life uh, in the interim. So I will be back at AusCert today. I'm doing a speed debate later on, uh, along with a few people. My mate Casey Ellis from Bug Crowd, Kevin Mitnick is there as well. I see quite a bit of Kevin down here in Australia these days. There's probably a whole other set of stories there. Uh, so I'll be going back to do that and actually socialise a little bit more. And then I have absolutely no idea when the next Real World Conference I'm going to go to will happen. Now, if you have any questions about any of this, please drop them in the comments as well. I'm going to read what's here at the moment as well. Big Pod says, I seriously hate telling people they need good passwords. They just say, okay, they hack my account, I can get a new account. The only thing that does is scare people is credit card info being stolen. So I have written before about the fact that having your credit card data stolen is actually pretty inconsequential. Now, I say this as someone who has had my credit card data stolen multiple times, because here's what happens, right? Bank calls you up, says, hey, there's something fraudulent on your card or your notice on your statement. You go, oh, shit, all right. Uh, cancel the card. And they go, yep, card cancelled. Because the credit card, they refund the fraudulent payments. They ship you out a new one in the mail a few days later. And the, the really, the impact is you've got to wait till the money gets refunded and you've got to update direct debits and things like that. So I do not care anywhere near as much about credit cards being defrauded. Debit cards are different. Apparently, it's a lot harder to get the money back. I don't care anywhere near as much about that as what I do about passwords because they unlock email accounts and social media accounts with private messaging and things like that. But hey, look, even if people don't want to do it, it keeps the industry interesting. It certainly gives me a job. So, you know, let's, let's, let's not fix all the security things just yet, hey? A few people joining from other places. Mitch in Ottawa. Ashish is in India. Mitch says, uh, did take some time to get used to no masks. We never had to get used to no masks because we have only had a period of several days where we had to wear masks. The only time I've worn masks during this pandemic, and, and just before you lose your freaking collective minds over this, this is not me being irresponsible. This is the social norm where we are due to the fact we just have no freaking COVID. Only times I had to wear masks, only time I did it all last year was going into the Apple shop <laughs> in Rabina in our local shopping center. Um, every other shop, no problems. But Apple, because everything has to be identical in the Apple world, you had to wear a mask. So I was like, oh, this is weird. The next time I had to wear a mask was getting a flight from Adelaide to Brisbane after a big round Australia trip when we ended up putting the car on a transporter because there was an uptick of COVID in some states. And that was that. And then the only other time I had to is when we went down, we flew to Canberra a few weeks ago to the school holidays to go mountain biking. So you have to wear it in an airport in Australia and you have to wear it on the flight. Uh, and as many of you know who have to do this all the time, it's like, look, it's, it's a bit of a pain, but geez, in the scheme of things, who cares? And then there was a period here which was literally less than a week. I think it was only a few days just before we had the Canberra trip where we had to wear it into shops and things because there was an uptick um, in Brisbane. And 
so this just seems like peak Gold Coast in terms of weird stories. But apparently there was a tradesperson who went from like Brisbane to Byron Bay and he was a stripper and he performed at a party and he had COVID. Uh, and I, I don't know if I've seen a male stripper in action before, but I can imagine that the proximities were enough that other people got infected. And that was apparently the catalyst for why we had to wear some masks for a while. All right, now other things that I, uh, I just put in the, uh, the tweet before I went live with this. Uh, RSI. Let's, let's talk about a serious thing as I'm here rubbing my hand. The industry, which, which I suspect most people are in here, is one where you end up spending very large amounts of time in front of a computer at a keyboard. And probably about, I would say, 15 years ago, definitely still well and truly in my 20s, I started getting RSI in, in my hand. I could get pain in my hand. And at that time, this was back in the day when I was working for, for Pfizer, I went to my boss and we got things like ergonomic mouse and keyboard. So I still, to this day, have ergonomic mouses, mice, and keyboards. So for example, I use this Microsoft mouse. I cannot remember the model number, but it is in my blog post about building the ultimate home office again. Ergonomic mouse and ergonomic keyboard shaped in a way that is very, very hard to get used to. But once you're used to it, you never go back. Uh, ergonomic chair. I'm sitting on a Herman Miller Aeron, the canonical geek chair, which I have now had for, I must have this for about 15 years, uh, which is great. Making sure my seating position, like all the normal stuff. And I'm just saying this because... If you're not doing this already and you are working on the keyboard all day, do this stuff because it's very, very small investments that will prolong the keystrokes that you get out of your hands. Now, my problem was probably going back about maybe four or five years, I started getting more pain in my hand because I do spend a lot of time there. And the way it would manifest itself is I'd particularly feel it when I play tennis. So I play a lot of tennis. I'd normally play under normal circumstances, maybe four hours a week or something like that. And every time I hit like a, a, a volley, which is quite a quite a flat shot on the racket, not something like a nice top spin, I'd get a, a pain like in my elbow here. And uh, particularly on things like serves, if I hyperextended like all the way out, I'd feel it. So I was getting a lot of physio, a lot of massage, uh, acupuncture. I know some people hate it and they say it doesn't work. I was happy with the work the physio was doing. And I was pretty much okay for the last two years. And it would just flare up a little bit now and then. And then on Monday, I played tennis. And it was just an hour with a coach. It wasn't super intensive. A little bit of pain. And by Monday night, I was in absolute agony. And and the, the problem is, uh, I went back to the physio on Tuesday. And he was explaining what I already knew. The problem is it all sort of starts from the back here. So imagine around your back and around your shoulder blades and everything, that's where the tension is. And then the nerves sort of carry this pain all the way down. And, and because it's nerve pain, there is nothing you can do to get relief in terms of like position or anything. It's not like you can lay on a different side. It's just constant, constant pain. So my Monday night was miserable. Most of my Tuesday was miserable. Tuesday night was kind of miserable and I came good just in just in time to go and drink whiskey on, on uh, Wednesday night. And it's still not 100% good. I've got to go back to physio today and get it worked on. And, I, and I'm just saying this because like now is the time, if you're not doing this already, to, to focus on the ergonomics of your setup. Uh, and even then, that's not necessarily enough. And, and what I've got to do is probably be a bit more disciplined with the exercises I'm meant to be doing and the stretches and everything else. But uh, that did put a dent in my productivity this week. Uh, also, I can't use this mouse with the left hand. <laughs> the joy of an ergonomic mouse like this is it's made to only go one way. 
So I've been on the laptop a lot, having to use like my left hand on the trackpad, and it's just, it's not overly productive. Let's put it that way. Someone's made a comment here. I also have to sort out my ergonomic setup. Have a standing desk, but at six foot five, it seems a normal ergonomic chair doesn't cut it unless I stand up. So I'm six six foot four and a half, I think. So let's let's call it pretty much even. Um, I know a lot of people like standing desks. I I don't, but that the main reason for that is that I do get up and stand a lot. Like I, I see on my watch exactly how much I get up and exactly how much exercise I get. And I just passed 400 days of closing my rings every day. So it's very, very rare for me to spend more than an hour sitting here at the desk. In fact, doing videos like this is probably the longest time. I get up, it's a three-story house, so I'm walking up and down the stairs the whole time. I walk outside the whole time. I try and break my day up a lot. So I have a lot of, uh, a lot of interviews and things where I will literally just put the headphones on and I'll go and I'll sit in the sun and just be away from the keyboard. So I break my day up a lot. And I think the practice of, of mixing that up a bit and giving your, your limbs a break is a really important practical thing. All right, let's talk about how screwed up my network got this week. So, Shelley's IAT. Now, I've got, I think it's about 32 Shelley's throughout the house. And for new listeners, the Shelleys are those little IoT relays. I've got mostly Shelly ones, the little blue ones, the size of a couple of Oreo cookies. And I've got one Shelly 2.5 that's in Charlotte's office, got two relays in it, similar sort of size. They connect via Wi-Fi to the network. There is an integration in Home Assistant so that HA can talk to them and orchestrate all of their things. Uh, turn the power on, raise events when you toggle the switch that they're connected to, and so on and so forth. Now, I started having very, very strange problems that I was talking about last week as well, where I just simply could not connect to Shelley's over HTTP. Not only could I connect to them over HTTP, I couldn't even ping them, which is just super weird. Now, I'm looking at Home Assistant, and Home Assistant seems to be talking to them now, but I've got a little, uh, little console app I wrote just to enumerate through and connect to everyone and pull back the status. And I wonder if I was to run that again now in my Visual Studio debugger here, if it would actually find them. Because what I was finding is my desktop could connect to everything. It's found one of them. It's not, <laughs> doesn't want to connect to the other ones. My laptop couldn't connect to anything. And then neither could my iPad, neither could my iPhone. And last week, my working theory was that it was ARP related. So ARP tables, which are going to map IP addresses through to MAC addresses of machines because I had some really inconsistent ARP table entries on my PC versus my laptop. Now, the devices should be announcing this when they get onto the network and then that goes into your network settings and the network devices then announce it so that all your other clients know where to find the other clients. Very, very rough explanation of ARP. Uh, and clearly there are issues there. Now, there's two things that, uh, that are going to fix this for me. One is I have rolled all of the Shelleys over to MQTT. So everything now goes via messages as opposed to a direct connection, say from Home Assistant to the Shelly. So I'm running Mosquito Broker in Home Assistant. And what happens now is if I want to, well, I went through every single Shelly and I set up MQTT. So I basically put the IP address of Home Assistant in there. Uh, every device has got its own name. And then every device will subscribe to uh, events that, that hit the message queue and they will send events to the message queue when you do something like toggle a switch. So what you can do then is load up something like MQTT Explorer, which I've got here, and I can see something like, you know, the carport lights. I can see the device continually telling MQTT, hey, this is the status of the lights. 
Uh, if I change the status, then it will immediately push that to the message queue. And because Home Assistant then subscribes to that queue, it will pull it back and it will say, here's what's happened with the lights. This is just a much, much, much more resilient way of talking between systems. It's a little bit like the way we would use message queues in any sort of other transactional kind of system. Like, let's break down the dependency of the two components always being alive and always being contactable. And we just put a very, very discreetly purposed message queue broker in the middle. This has revolutionized my home automation because now everything always works. So even when I run this, and for some reason out of the 32 odd Shelleys, I can only connect like three of them just here. Every single one of them I can see communicating via MQTT just here. Now people had sort of said this earlier on. They're like, um, I, I think originally I connected the garage door opener Shelly via MQTT. And, and then when I started getting lots of them, I was like, oh, it's actually kind of cool just using the Home Assistant integration because the, the names and things automatically show up and you can like auto-complete when you... Uh, when you connect to them or when you write your YAML. But this is so much better. Now, what I'd love to do is get all of the RGB LEDs, which I currently have connected via Tuya. I would, Tuya is the, is the Chinese uh, maker of IoT things, which every single brand of light that I've purchased so far can connect to, even if it's not Tuya. I would love to get those probably running different firmware and then communicating over MQTT. Because what happens at the moment is like, I'll turn on a scene. Now in the scene, you've got a whole bunch of Shelleys that need to be turned on or off. Let's say it's evening time, turning on lights. A whole bunch of Shelleys got to be turned on and a whole bunch of lights that have got to be turned on. Now, when I turn on the scene, now a message is sent to every Shelly and it just drops in the queue immediately. So every Shelly is just like, bam, and all these lights around the house instantaneously go on. But then for the two-year stuff, it's like boop, 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 like one by one by one sequentially, the messages go directly to the device rather than just simultaneously going to the queue and then the device pulling that from the queue and immediately toggling. So that might be my next thing. Unfortunately, even if we look at like flashing with ESP Home, as best I can tell for the, all these RGB lights, it does not look like a very fun experience, which is... Uh, which is unfortunate because a whole bunch of my home automation lately has not been very fun. But we are breaking the back of that. One thing that has been fun, and I spoke about this last week, was the way I have automated the toggling of the power on my air conditioner. Now, many people um, made suggestions about how I should be able to control my air conditioner via IoT. So for example, they say, go and get Daikin Airbase. I've got a Daikin system. Daikin Airbase doesn't work with the 14-year-old system that's here. Or they'd say, go and get Sensibo or something else similar to that, which is an IR blaster. And this is a really, really clever idea because it's like, you know how you have a remote to control your air conditioner and that just sends IR signals? Just get something else that can send the IR signals and it can be controlled by the internet. And a Sensibo was like 140 bucks or something. So a pretty, pretty good price retrofit to IoT your aircon. Now, unfortunately... Um, my aircon doesn't have IR, <laughs> and I only realized that after I bought the Sensibo, which I then returned and got my money back, so no loss. Nest. Now, some people have said, uh, go and get a Nest or go and get an equivalent. Now, I, I do want to look into this further, but the information that I had previously had was that it was just simply incompatible with our systems here. As best I know, other than like Nest Protect for smoke alarms, I'll come back to that in a moment, you can't get a Nest thermostat off the shelf anywhere in Australia because they're incompatible. 
I did have someone pop up and go, no, actually you can do this. And I think you've got to connect the red wire to the green wire to the blue wire or something else very, felt very hacky. But for the most part, we just don't have retrofittable components here. Certainly not for this aircon. But the aircon does have a button and you can IOT button presses. So I finally got my SwitchBot working. I think last week I showed what that would look like and I've, I have put this in tweets. That SwitchBot is now working in a 3D printed frame which just clips on over the Daikin unit with a little caddy and the, 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 the SwitchBot goes in there and then the arm comes down and it pushes the aircon on or off and it has revolutionized my life. <laughs> and I don't say this lightly, this is actually super, super, super cool. There are two places I use this a lot. One is on my stream deck I've now got a button which calls a webhook to turn the aircon on. So when I'm sitting here doing, let's say I'm doing this, and I go, oh, I'm a little bit hot, but I don't want to get up and walk away and toggle the thing because I'm doing a podcast or something. I just go click like that, and I'll know it works because the aircon unit is just up here and I should hear it blowing surely. And then the other place I'm using it a lot is right next to my bed. Not making noise yet. I hope it's worked. There is about a 10 second uh, lag as well because it's Bluetooth from the device that's down in my server cabinet up to the switch button. It does seem to introduce a little bit of lag, but it does always seem to queue and get delivered. Except for this time. <sighs> Press again. The other place I've got it is I've got a button, one of the uh, Akira ones that work over Zigbee right next to the bed. Uh, so if I wake up at like 2 a.m. and it's like, oh man, it's just. It's feeling cold in here. Click the button and the thing goes up. And I know why I'm not hearing it. The reason I'm not hearing it, this is one of the other pains, is that there's the, this is how old the place is. There's the Daikin unit, which just controls the aircon. And then there is a totally separate panel on the wall that controls the zones. And you go through and you turn on the master room, my son's room, my daughter's room, the office. And at night, I normally turn off the office one and I haven't turned it back on today. So that probably just turned the aircon on and off in the master bedroom and that's it. And again, this is where I'd love to have a nest or something like this, which could actually control all the environments. But so far, as best I can tell, that's just not going to work. So this remains a bit of a MacGyver approach, but for the most part, it works. Not always. All right, looking at some of the other comments here. Uh, Big Pod said these ergonomic stuff is quite expensive, especially for someone who doesn't have a job. Uh, you know what's more expensive? Physio. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> I can't even remember how much it costs because now I just throw the credit card down and say, please take my money. I'm just in too much pain to argue about it. But uh, th this is one of these things where money spent on stuff like this. I mentioned that, that the chair, uh, I've got 15 years out of the chair. Now, that was a chair that would have cost in Australian dollars probably about $1,500. Um, and, and I know that I know that not everyone is in the position to make this decision at the time when they need it, but if you do rationalize it out over time, I have paid $100 a year, so what's that, like 30 cents a day or something like that, for the last 15 years to have a, a something which is just fundamental to my posture and to my, uh, to my comfort and then to my productivity. Uh, ergonomic keyboard, mouse, that sort of stuff, I, I forget how much the Microsoft gear costs, but again, it was something like a couple of hundred bucks, you'll get several years out of that. Uh, plus, uh, for, for many of you, that might be something that you can claim uh, on your tax as well. Speak to your tax, uh, your tax advisor <laughs> about that. But it is something that you got to invest money on. But it definitely, definitely, definitely saves you not just uh, in in physio bills later on, but in productivity too. 
Okay, what else is in here? Uh, Nick Dolo Services being in Melbourne last year, I had to just buy a regular chair and wasn't able to test with my desk. A decent chair is definitely on the to-do list. Do that. Um, Trady Treff says you can pay someone to flash one. I've seen some 3D printed jigs. I assume that's flashing the uh, the lights. Um, Ice God says they still install ducted aircon that way as standard with the separate zone panel. I believe some of the newer units do combine them because I actually spoke to Daikin the other day and they're like, oh, you got one of the old ones with the separate sort of zone panel. It does feel super clunky. And it, look, at, at the end of the day, these are just panels on a wall sending electrical signals down a wire. And I'm confident, <laughs> knowing very little about electrical engineering, but having a bit of an understanding about bits and bytes and stuff, I'm confident that there should be something else that can sit in there and send those same signals with a nice user interface and that's Wi-Fi connected. Clinton says, I'm presently using Decons, but soon to move to MQTT. Have you done this or do they coexist? Well, Decons is used for Zigbee communication. MQTT is used for message queues. Uh, so I, I feel, unless someone can correct me, I, I feel that there's a little bit of interchanging of terms there so i'm using decons uh let's say for these little sensors so they're all zigbee based and then i'm using message queues to uh, communicate back to the ip address iot devices could i use a message queue to communicate with something like decons i don't know and I, to be honest, I haven't had a need that the, the Zigbee stuff, so long as it's got range, there's a caveat, so long as it's got range, actually seems to be really reliable. Uh, oh, Zigbee to MQTT. Uh, so no, I, I haven't tried using that before. So, but, but again, I, I sort of stand by my position where I have had very good reliability out of the Zigbee related stuff uh, in terms of connectivity, but also I've, I've deliberately put in a bunch of devices around the house that act as Zigbee repeaters. So I've got like two uh, Philips Hue desktop lights just here. And they're not joined to the Hue hub, they join directly to the Conbee on, on Home Assistant. So because they're powered Zigbee devices, they act as repeaters. I'm about to get a bunch of outdoor lighting. I think I'm gonna get some, uh, some of the Hue outdoor lights. They are a bit pricey, but they look really cool. <laughs> and, and my outdoor lights are, are, are rusted and dead to varying degrees as well. So I thought, oh, this would be a good, good, good idea. And then they will become even more Zigbee repeaters around the house as well. All right, so something else, data breaches. Now, in the, the tweet just before, I said I am drowning in data breaches, and it, it does feel like that. Uh I've still got 100 plus emails in my inbox. The vast majority of them discrete data breaches, many of them very, very large in size. I loaded, um, I loaded a couple in the last week. So I loaded uh, DriveShore, 3.6 million unique email addresses exposed in December. Names, phone numbers, physical addresses, plus vehicle makes, models, VINs, and odometer readings. Now 77% of those email addresses already have been pwned. This was a previously disclosed breach. There's another one here, Wed Me Good, an Indian wedding service. 1.3 million unique email addresses from January. Names, phone numbers, physical addresses, genders, hashes. 62% already have I been pwned. I've had another one that's just been processing on my laptop. This is what I was doing while I was waiting for my talk at Ossert yesterday. I was just sitting there trying to process data. Um, how many unique addresses did that find? Let's have a look. 
did that finish while I was out. Oh, that's found another 4.2 million. So there's 4.2 million of this one as well, which I believe is legitimate. I've got to verify it. And there are literally dozens of incidents like this that are just sitting there on the backlog that need to be dealt with yet, which is, um, which is frankly a bit of a pain in the ass. Now, I am harboring ideas of getting support <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to deal with this. I'm going to talk more about that in the future, but it's something I'm starting to think a lot more about because when I think about why am I sitting on this big backlog of stuff that's not processed? Well, someone sends me a file. I'll, I'll pick, let's just pick a random file here and I'll, I won't say what the name of it is because you never know if these are legit or not. And I'm always cautious about implying that someone's had a data breach and they haven't. So let's take, uh, I'll take this one. In fact, this is the one that I'm processing over there. Now, we'll say it's Acme Core. So, so Acme Core, this is, a, this is an 8.7 gigabyte gzip file. So that's going to extract out to many tens of gigabytes. I need to go through there, extract out all the email addresses. I've got a little script that does that. No biggie, just takes a while to run sometimes. I then need to go and verify whether this data breach is actually legitimate. So for example, can I take mailinator addresses out there, put them into the password reset of the alleged Acme Core breached website and actually get password reset sent to that mailinator address? Can I find existing press about it? So is this an incident that has already been disclosed and I don't have to do disclosure, which would be great. And if yes to all of that, then I can begin the process of loading data. And what I'm starting to think more about is starting to delegate everything up to that point to begin with, because that would save a lot of work. If I could just get this pipeline of data that's coming in and put it into almost like a little triage facility where someone else, and it does have to be a human, you can't automate all this stuff, a human somewhere goes through and verifies all of this and establishes whether it's legitimate or not and creates a almost an audit trail of their activities in order to establish this. Why is my son's old enough to do this? Can an 11-year-old do that? Do I have to pay him or would he do it for free? Anyway, I'll work this out. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of need to get this pipeline where I can at least get data through that first day because some of it will go off to the side or it'll be like no this isn't legitimate or say in the case of that that one that was allegedly like everyone in the u.s recently it's like it, it's just flaky enough that it's not worth loading file it away and then just end up with stuff where it's like okay it's legitimate and then it's like there's some stuff that's already disclosed and i can load whenever i want to there's other stuff that needs disclosure there's one at the moment that uh that has only just happened and it's fairly substantial and it needs disclosure and I'm just looking at it going, oh, crap, that's no, not much fun doing the disclosure stuff. And that's something I think I probably still need to do because if if it's me and people are like, can I trust this or not? I, I can at least go look, go and Google me and form your own decisions as to whether I'm trustworthy or not. If it's someone, uh, if it's someone else, that might be harder. So anyway, I'm giving that a lot of thought because I do want to try and churn through this backlog such that I'm not looking at, at literally hundreds and hundreds of separate incidents in total which have happened and I just haven't been able to put into the system. Feel free to ask me questions on that as I read the other ones here. So Ice God here, still talking about aircons. Last time I looked two years ago or so, the panel with integrated unit was an upgrade, plus had a limited amount of zones. I ended up opting for an AirTouch controller instead of the Daikin one. So AirTouch, AirTouch. Uh, and if anyone does have a good solution to this, and maybe AirTouch is the right 
the right solution just here. Uh, I would love to know about it because it just it just feels like a harder problem than is necessary. And, and part of what makes it difficult as well is like I'm calling up air conditioning companies, not like Daikin, but installers uh, who install different products. And I'm going, look, do you have a solution to just make this work? And and so far, so far, no. I'm pretty sure someone else has mentioned AirTouch too. But I'll, um, I'll leave that open here in the tab and I'll have another look at that. So thank you for sending that through. Trady Trish says, the quality of the leaks would improve automation also. I assume that's in response to um, uh, trying to get more of these breaches verified i would love to um i would love to i'd love to think the quality improved but i don't know that there's a quality problem at the moment certainly everything that goes in i have i been pwned i verify myself and then it goes in i think it would be more a question of the volume increasing by me being able to delegate some things uh, and then, of course, I, th- I think the next frontier is how can I then delegate the process of actually loading it into Have I Been Pwned? And as I said yesterday in the in the AMA, I did it also. It's like I can't be the single point of failure on this. It's it's crazy that I you know, I have uh, one spider bite is Australia, and then that, that would then be the end of Have I Been Pwned? It's, it's dead. So that is something that I will give increasing thought to uh, over the remainder of the year. Okay, folks, we, we are starting to wrap up today. I have a, a bunch on my plate today, including going and getting that physio. So I'm going to uh, end this weekly update here, and I will come back next week, later on in the day, which will be the uh, the Aussie evening, which will be morning time in the UK and the rest of Europe. So I will see you then. Thanks for tuning in.